streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is a new podcast to the Inside Carolina lineup up in the rafters where 2017 ACC Player of the Year and National Champion Justin Jackson and myself will be talking about all things Carolina basketball. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. The T-Shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it. They will probably have it because it's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. You could visit them in person on Franklin Street or online at johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers get 10% off their orders. It's up in the rafters. As always, I'm joined by my guy, Justin Jackson. And Justin, since the last time we talked, UNC kept its perfect home record intact, beating up on Georgia Tech in the Dean Dome. However, they they couldn't make it easy for us. They go down to South Beach and they lose to Miami by 28 in a game in which UNC trailed by 27 at halftime, which tied the largest halftime deficit for the Tar Heels over the past 25 years. So starting with that game at Miami, what went so wrong for the Carolina so quickly? Man, um, for one, man, I just – I want to be able to come onto the podcast, man, and just be like, man, these guys have really turned a corner. You know what I mean? Like, these guys have they, – they beat up on, a, uh, up on a team like Georgia Tech, and then they respond by being a really good team, you know? But I think – the it's hard to really describe what went on against Miami. Um, I'm being a former player, obviously at UNC and having plenty of my own bad games where we shouldn't have lost or we got whooped or the team just single-handedly just manhandled us. I'm very like sensitive to not trying not to overreact to certain games. Um, but the game against Miami, Miami just played harder. They just played more physical. They just executed better. Like they just came out like they were supposed to win, you know, and UNC never really responded to it. You know, like there was never really a response where you saw, okay, these guys are kind of fighting back. It was just Miami took over and they just kept it going, you know? And so for me, when I watched that game, and seeing how we've talked about it before, seeing how talented some some of these guys are on UNC's team, like those kind of games should never happen. You should never be down by 27 at halftime. You should never be allowing guys to just give you one pump fake and drive down the middle of the lane and dunk the ball, right? Like there should never be those type of situations because of what they've shown. 
Like they show that they are a team that is very talented and when they put it all together, they can be good. Um, but man, that game against Miami, it was tough to watch, man. Like it was tough. I was kind of sitting here um, just waiting for that. Like, okay, these guys are going to punch back. And there was just really none. So I don't know. Hopefully they had, they, I'm sure they had a crazy film session and hopefully they're able to kind of bounce back from it. But it was, that was an ugly one for sure. Yeah, you have to give credit to this Miami team for going out and executing their game plan. But I think the the general consensus is that, like you mentioned, this is still North Carolina basketball. They shouldn't be down 27 points to really anybody. And it's becoming a trend in these games against the better opponents where you are questioning the effort. You're questioning the heart where we saw it in the. Uh, the Tennessee game was the first game. We saw it against Kentucky, and now we, we're seeing it in this, where in all of UNC's losses, it seems like you're seeing the same trend where this is almost just becoming who this team is at this point. And the theme from Hubert Davis in his postgame press conference was disappointment, where this Carolina team, they make strides at times, where it seems like we're going to get on this podcast and talk nothing but positives, but then they regress back to a game like this, and the second they're they're going up against a quality opponent where everybody, including Hubert Davis in his press conference, begins to question their effort and their fight from the outside looking in. Is this a case of a team that just doesn't really know how to handle success? I, honestly, man, I, I don't know. Like I haven't I haven't been around them around each player like individually enough. You know, I haven't been around the group enough to really know how they are when it comes to like accolades and all that kind of stuff. I think what you did see against Miami was they did get very comfortable um, beating, a, you know, a Georgia Tech team that is, um, I wouldn't say, you know, necessarily a bad team, but they're not a, you know, top ACC team right now. And so I think what you saw was like they, got very comfortable with that, you know, and you, you know, obviously social media, all that kind of stuff, man. Like you see, like, you know, so-and-so played really well. Oh, so-and-so did really, did really good here. They did this, they did that. And so if you're not like disciplined enough to say, okay, like that was a good game. Now we have a really good Miami team that we have to play against. Then you kind of walk into the next game thinking it's just going to be sweet. And I think that's kind of what you saw. And when you play against a good team like Miami, who already has a good win against Duke, like when you play against a team like them, they're coming in saying, hold on, like we're, we're supposed to win this game. Right. And they go out there and they play like that. Like you get punched in the mouth really quickly. And if you don't respond, it can get ugly quick. And so from the outside looking in, I would say they got a little comfortable with that Georgia Tech win. And then they went into the next one kind of thinking it was going to be kind of the same deal. They were going to be able to do whatever they wanted to. And it, it wasn't the same story, bro. Yeah, I think the other thing from the postgame press conference from Hubert Davis was it, it seems like he's a coach that's still searching for a lot of answers with this team with how many questions he responded with, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. You know, you guys are seeing this team struggle and I'm struggling to connect to the players where I think people have to keep in mind that a coach as good as Roy Williams, a hall of fame coach, four years removed 
from winning a national championship retired because he felt like he couldn't connect to today's players. And now you have a coach in Hubert Davis in his first year. You know how much Hubert Davis cares about this university. You know how much this opportunity means to coach Davis. And he's now struggling to get his message across. What more do you think can be done for this Carolina team for players to start to um, where, where it isn't, we're questioning their effort and their toughness. And it, it might be a, a town issue, but it's not whether or not like they're going into a game with the, with the right mindset and the right focus. Yeah. I mean, I think for one, I'm just going to say this for all the fans out there that are slandering coach Davis and thinking he's not the right man for the job as a player, right. As a player, when you're playing, you can very easily blame a coach for paying coaches and let me get the amount of touches. They're not letting me get this, not letting me do this, that. All the fans out there that are talking, you know, saying Coach Davis isn't good enough for the job, all this kind of stuff. A coach can only take a team so far, right? Like when you look at, at a Hall of Famer like Coach Williams, right? He set his players up perfectly. He did, he got them into the situations for success. But when you look at his teams, his teams, when they were on the floor, actually went out there and did it, right? Like they they were, you look at the 2005 team, that team was crazy talented, right? But when they got onto the floor, you never questioned like, man, like they're not really giving that much effort. You know, they still had their bad games, but it wasn't, it, what you never were sitting there like after this game against Miami, you were never sitting there like, man, how in the world, what, where do they go from here? You know, you never were sitting there doing that. And so I think what you're seeing is Coach Davis, obviously it's his first year, right? It's a lot of learning curves. But what you're seeing is like the players themselves aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing on the court. And so Coach Davis can only do so much in practice and so much in film and so much in the huddles. But when it comes down to it, the players that are on the court have to do the work. If they don't, then there's no success, right? Like a, a coach can't all of a sudden – I haven't met many people besides Coach Williams himself that loves UNC as much as Coach Davis does. Like the whole bleed blue deal, like Coach Davis bleeds Carolina blue. So there is no lacking of like energy and – uh spirit like there's no lacking of any of that from coach davis so the only thing that i can look at is okay now the the players just aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing you know and so i think for for all of those looking all those fans watching the games and saying man like we should you know coach davis is he really the one yeah we need to be looking at the players themselves like are the players really doing what they're supposed to be doing and I think a lot of that comes from the leadership and the like the effort and the mindset of the players going into each and every game. I don't know if they've necessarily kept the same mindset. One thing that I will say about my team when I was at UNC, we always had a collective group that was able to go into each and every game with the same mindset. We still had our bad games. We still, there were still games when we didn't do what we were supposed to do, but we were able to go into a game saying, okay, this is, this is the game that we are ready for today. 
right? Like the coach would always say, this is the most important game because it's today's game. And so we would always go into the game locked into that game. I don't know necessarily if these players are going into each and every game locked in as much as they should be. And so then the whole entire thing, when you have a bad game like this, then it's like you start questioning this and that and this and that. And I think the players themselves have to take a look, whether it's at film, whether it's at just looking at themselves and saying, okay, what can I do better? Because there's got to be more accountability within the players not just from the coaches and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the leadership issue with this team because that was another thing in the press conference where Coach Davis said that at this moment, this UNC team really doesn't have any player leadership. And in order to be a good team, you have to have that leadership and somebody outside of the coaching staff that's holding players accountable. From your experience, what makes a player a great leader and how do you earn that respect in the locker room to have that kind of voice? Me personally, man, I've, I've always thought the best leaders are obviously the ones who, you know, know what they're talking about for one, but are also always showing it, whether it's in practice, uh, before practice, after practice, in games, in film sessions, in the locker room, like I always thought that the best leaders were the ones that led by example, you know? And so for me, like I think about, when I think about like my teams, um, somebody like a Marcus, like Marcus was, he was somebody that wasn't necessarily afraid to say something to you, but you also always knew he was going to give his all, whether it was in practice or getting extra work in or in a game, like you knew he was going to put everything he had out there. And so when you have a leader like that, you, you're not necessarily sitting there when he says something to you, you're not sitting there and you're not getting in your feelings. Cause you're like, well, dang, well, he's doing it. So it's not as if he's not doing it coming and telling me that I need to be doing it. And it's like, okay, but you're not doing it, bro. Um, and so when you, when you see a leader that's able to do that, then the team just follows, you know? And so I don't, like I said, I, I'm not there every day. I'm not at practice. I'm not there, you know, before practice, whatever. Um, but I think when you see a guy like Armando or you see a guy like Caleb Love who, you know, when it's really good, you know, Caleb Love is really, really good. Um, but when you see guys like that, who at the end of the day are kind of the guys that are taking on the, you know, the leadership type role, those are the guys that have to lead by example. You know, you can't see, you know, at the end of the day, no basketball player is perfect, but you can't see, you know, Caleb Love get blown by four times in a game, you know, and think that the rest of his teammates are going to, you know, pick up that slack and be able to fight through that. You know, you can't see Armando, you know, go down and, you know, just for example, go down and take four forced and bad shots and think that the rest of the team is just going to be like, okay, whatever, let's just keep going. Right. Like, because if their two leaders aren't picking up their slack, then it's going to be hard for everybody else to, you know, continue to do what they're supposed to do. So, like I said, we're not there every day, but, there's got to be some sort of guy that steps up and says, Hey, look, and it doesn't have to be necessarily those two guys. It could even be a guy who 
It could be a Kerwin Walton. It could be a Leaky Black. Like, it could be other guys outside of the guys that I think, you know, media and all that kind of stuff kind of have already, you know, pointed out as, like, the, guy, the top the guys. guys. Lead, the guys leading the team in points, basically. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it's got to be somebody to step up and say, guys, look, like, we're way too good to be losing games like this. Like, we're way too talented for this. Like, Coach Davis, from my experience with Coach Davis, Coach Davis is a great players coach. Like, his connection with players, I don't know if it's because he's played before. I don't know if it's just kind of the type of person he is. So I know that's not lacking either. So it's like they've got to figure out something like, hey, look, maybe it's us. You know what I mean? Like, but there's got to be at least one or two guys that step up and say, all right, enough is enough. And hopefully they can do it. You know, let's hope. You were on two of the most successful UNC teams over the past decade. Do you have any examples of that great player leadership and accountability from your sophomore or junior year that when you look back on it, you can say like this specific moment right here, that's when I kind of knew that we were a team worthy of making consecutive trips to the final four and national championships. Um, I would say my sophomore year, um, well, I guess, honestly, I would go all the way back to my freshman year. That's kind of when I knew, because our, our freshman and sophomore year, my freshman and sophomore year, we were basically the same team. Um, but, like, my freshman year, like, I always remember um, in the ACC tournament. Was it the ACC tournament? No, I guess that would have been my, I guess it would have been my sophomore year. Um, but we were playing against Virginia. And Malcolm Brogdon, obviously, he's in the league now having a lot of success. Uh, but Malcolm Brogdon was was killing in the ACC at Virginia. Um, and he – we were going into the game, and uh, the matchup was for Marcus um, to guard Malcolm Brogdon. And at the time, I mean, he was – I think he was averaging like 18 or 19, which is a lot in the ACC. And um, – we went into that game and I mean, Marcus played like unbelievable defense on him, right? Like, I mean, getting through screens, everything we talked about before the game, like he was, you know, he was almost perfect on it. And, you know, I always give Marcus a hard time because coach would always grade, like he would always grade defense when they would watch film, they graded it a different way, but every game Marcus was always like, positive like he would always have way more positives than bads um but after seeing that like it was one of those things where it was like okay I can't ever question when Marcus comes to me and says something to me right or when I mess up and Marcus is like hey you should do this because every single game I'm watching Marcus himself go out there and do everything pretty close to as perfect as they've said we should be doing in the scout and everything like that um so i think for me that was kind of you know and of course you know if marcus sees this you know whatever but um you know for me kind of seeing that um i think that was kind of how i knew no matter what we were always going to have a leader that was leading us in the right way you know whether we were down 20 up 20 um so that was kind of my you know, like oh, eye-opening experience. And then it helped me go into my junior year 
of kind of taking on that role of like, okay, now it's my turn, like to try to lead by example and be that leadership. So I guess I'll give the credit to Marcus, man, you know, as hard as it is for me, I'll give, I'll give him the credit. (laughs) It's, it's a love hate relationship with Marcus because you love how he was always going to give your teams the best chance to win with how hard he was going to play and how smart he is on the court. But you also hate giving him that credit because it's going to inflate his ego. <laughs> oh, it's going to it's going to inflate it. I know I'm going to get a text or something at some point. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, to give credit where credit is due, man. Not only were you guys ridiculously talented going into your junior season, but you guys just seem to have a different mindset where heading into that year, you would not be denied getting what you guys felt was yours in that national title. Yet every year, every team goes into a season with the thought of winning that same title. What do you think it was that separated your team besides just going the the previous year? I think, to be honest, man, um, it was like that whole offseason. You know, obviously you have you have more fuel in the tank coming off of a loss in the national championship. But I mean, you look at, I mean, we lost Marcus, we lost Bryce, we lost uh, Joel. Um, who else did we lose? Those were the three seniors, I think. Okay, so we lost. The only, we lost the only other guys. senior in that class was JP, who left early. Okay. Yeah, so we lost those guys, who two of them were obviously, you know, pillars of kind of what we had the previous two years. And so I think, honestly, it was just everybody's mindset in that offseason. Like, I mean, we, we lost, and I think maybe we took two, maybe two or three weeks, and then we were right back at it, you know? And that whole offseason, you know, publicity blew up the whole, like, redemption tour type deal, right? But in our minds, it was like, no, like, we can, we can go do this right? Like we have a team, everybody was cool with each other. Everybody enjoyed being around each other, but we also knew we had the talent to make it back there. Right. And so everything we did was based on, okay, we want to go to the national championship. And like you said, every team goes into the season saying, okay, the end goal is to make it to the national championship. But it was just a different type of mentality that we had and it started in the off-season workouts, right? Even in the times, I'm not going to sit here and say every 7 a.m. lift, we were freaking fired up saying we're going to the national championship. I'm not going to sit here and say that because we were not. Um, but it was still in the back of our mind, we were like, okay, we're going to make it back there. Like nobody is going to stop us, right? And so it was just a different mentality and everybody was locked into it. And eventually as the season went on, like you saw guys kind of fall into place as far as what we needed for each and every player to have success, you know? So it was like, we had four or five, six different guys that could go for 20 every night, but they weren't necessarily chasing after that every night, you know, and everybody celebrated each other when they had really good games, you know, and it was just, it was a different type of, flow to the team when I watch this team they are very talented but I think at times they get very 
individualized, I guess I would say, you know, they get very, okay, I haven't touched the ball in about three or four plays. Okay. Let me see if I can go make something happen, you know, or, you know, what I don't hit a couple shots. And so it's like, dang, here we go. You know, like I'm supposed to be averaging 18, you know, and it's, it's human nature to be that way. But our team was so locked in at the end goal that even in those times we were able to get out of that, get out of ourselves, and move on to the next game uh, or to the next play and move on to the next, you know, series or whatever. So I hope that this team can get to a point where they realize that individual success goes way further when you have team success. Um, if you lose in the first round of the tournament, that's three weekends less of exposure that you get than the teams that make it all the way, you know? But I feel like players nowadays, they're so caught up in, oh man, I got to get mine. I got to get mine. They got to see what I can do right now. And it's, it ends up hurting them more than helping them. So I don't know, man, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that just comes in, you know, to the podcast and is like, man, I don't know if these guys got it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to be that guy. Um, but there's got to be somebody to step up and say, okay, this is enough. Every good team that we've played against, besides really Purdue, every good team that we've played against, we've gotten whooped, right? And it's been a whooping of they just come in with more intensity, like more physicality. They execute better than we do. Like they do what their coach is telling us to do better. Um so somebody's got to step up and say enough is enough. And, you know, hopefully this was the last, you know, hopefully this was a straw that broke the camel's back. Hopefully they're like, all right, this is it. Like we're coming in each and every game. I hope the next game they come out and win by 40. And they just say, you know what, Justin, you can go and shut up on that podcast and go ahead and move out. You know, like that's what I hope for them. So hopefully they can, you know, learn from it and, and move on. Yeah. Looking at this team specifically, one of the problems they've been having, like you mentioned, is the I got to go get mine type offense, where in the games against the good teams, the, the backcourt has kind of struggled. Um, I would say the backcourt has struggled. How much of Carolina's struggles do you think can be attributed to having two non-traditional type point guards trying to be the initiators where maybe maybe they're more scoring guards instead of guys who are trying to get others involved as, as their primary focus. Yeah. I mean, I think you could run into issues with that. Um, but I look back on, I look back on the teams that I've been on, like we had Joel starting at the one and Marcus at the two, you know? And so Joel wasn't a necessarily a pass first point guard, you know, neither was Marcus. Marcus was a gunner. You know, I tell him that all the time. He was a gunner. But we still, even though you still had that, it wasn't as if it was like, okay, Joel, you go for three plays, try to do what you can do. Okay, now, Marcus, it's your turn. It was like, okay, we're going to run what we run, and wherever the ball needs to go, that's where it's going to go. You know, it's not, it's not that we've got these two great scorers at our one and two position, and so we just kind of let them kind of go and then – if it doesn't work for him, then the next guy goes, you know, it was okay. No, we're going to run it and the ball's going to find whoever it needs to find. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that is a problem 
having two non-traditional type guards, but they have to be able to kind of put their pride and ego to the side and say, okay, you know what, when it's my, when it's my turn to get a bucket, the ball's going to find me, you know, like it's, it's not that I have to do something with it right now or else it's not going to find me. And so I think they're, they're two very talented guards that have shown that they can play well together and play well in the same game. Um, but they just have to kind of change their mindset to, okay, I'm, I'm going to get mine whenever I'm supposed to get mine, you know? Yeah. I've read a ton of people, whether it's been on the message boards or on social media saying that this team could use somebody like Ty Lawson or Ray Felton. And I just want to say, I think it kind of goes without saying that this team could use two of the best point guards over (laughs) the past 20 years in, in all of college basketball. That would, uh, that would really help this team, but those kind of guys don't really grow on trees. And I think, I think you're right where we've seen Carolina have success with the non-traditional point guards running the offense, as long as everybody's kind of buying into the overall team offense. And another thing we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about is Leaky Black and how he understands his role for Carolina. But I'm curious, in your opinion, can you get to a point where you're such a non-threat scoring the ball that it does become detrimental to the team where opponents are guarding you and see like it's a five on four with this latest Miami game being the fourth game already this season where Leakey hasn't made one field goal. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and I think too, like, you know, a lot of the spotlight's going to go on Caleb, RJ, Armando, but I think, what was also kind of odd was Leakey wasn't even his same energy level that he's been this season. You know, like there was plays defensively where he guys kind of drove right past him, or there was a missed assignment defensively. Um, And then you see offensively, like, even though you might not be a, you know, a catch and shoot threat or, you know, necessarily an offensive threat that the other team is like scouting against, you can still cause issues offensively, you know, like you can still be a great cutter. You can still be a great offensive rebounder. Like you can still be a great screener. Like there's still things that you can still do to still cause issues on offense. And I think the problem is like you're saying, the problem is there's no threat at all when leaky is on the offensive end because he's just kind of standing. And when he catches the ball, he just catches it and swings it. You know, like there's no, he's not really creating any kind of action that makes his defender guard him or think that he's going to do something. So I don't think I would necessarily say that like him not scoring or not shooting a lot is an issue, but I think he has to find ways to create advantages on offense, whether that is, like I said, whether he is just a cutter, whether he's setting screens, setting other people up or getting to the offensive glass every time, there has to be other things that he can do to kind of create some sort of action, even with his man. That's all we got for this week. Carolina back in action on Saturday at Wake Forest, uh, back Monday home against Virginia Tech, and then they're hosting Boston College on Wednesday. So we'll have three games to talk about this time next week. 
Justin, always appreciate the time. And you could tell how off this Miami game got me. So I'm going to put on my Stephen A. Smith hat and just ask you one final question. How about them Cowboys? Hey, man, it's been a great podcast. (laughs) I appreciate you, man. (laughs) The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.